1: This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Roberto de Vic de Cumtisch about the difference between art and design, his love for serif fonts, and the importance of wit in design. Life is hard. Like, let's give a break to the you know, general public. Like, to make life a little easier, a little, you know, gentler and happier by just this little witty thing that you can't create. Here's Debbie Millman.
0: The lettering of Roberto Di Vic di Kumpis stands out like a good dancer on a crowded dance floor. It swoops and swishes and always impresses. No matter how tiny, each O and S and F is alive in its own gesture. De Vick began his career designing witty and ingenious book covers for publishing houses. In 2000, he published his own book, an animal ABCery called Bembo's Zoo, from antelope to zebra, and yes, there was a unicorn. De Vick shaped each animal out of the graceful Roman letters in its own name, a typographical tour de force. He's come out with two more books since then, each devoted in its own way to type. These days, DeVic is the principal at DeVic Design. They do publication and restaurant design and branding with a focus, of course, on typography. Roberto DeVic de Kamtish, welcome to Design Matters.
1: Thank you, Debbie.
0: So the first question I want to ask you about is your name. (laughs) Roberto DeVic de Kamtish, how did you get that (laughs) name?
1: Well, the first part is Brazilian. I was born in Rio. The last name is actually a Flemish name. Vic in Old Flemish means village. And Kamp-tish is a place that still exists. It's only one street in the middle of Belgium. And so my great-grandfather moved from Belgium to Boston, then from Boston to Brazil. And then my grandfather was born in Boston my and then moved to Brazil. And then my father was born in Brazil and I was born in Brazil.
0: It's daunting, <laughs> but it's quite beautiful. It's actually a really poetic name. <laughs> Do you find that most people don't know how to pronounce it?
1: I think that probably at the end of my life, I would spend three years of, you know, spelling on the phone. Oh, yeah. So, all that time. Yeah. But besides that, you know, I mean, it's great. It's much easier to search, you know, when you have a name like that. Instead That's of, true.
0: If you put Roberto in a D-E in Google, it Rio. comes out right exactly, away. Exactly, yeah. So you were born in Brazil, in Rio. Yeah. And you moved to New York City in 1982. Yeah. When you received a painting scholarship to go to Pratt. What made you decide that you wanted to move to New York City?
1: At that time, when I was growing up in Brazil, it was a dictatorship. And there was like a lower middle class. The economy was not doing very well. There was hyperinflation. I don't know if you ever experienced hyperinflation. It's like, you know, for instance, you go to the supermarket, and there was no prices on the packages. So the, you have to bring the packages to the cash register. And when you present the product, that would give you a price. If you presented 10 minutes later, the price would change. So it was like this bizarre situation. So I decided, like, you no, know, Rio is a lovely place to visit. I don't know if I've ever been to I Rio. I have
0: not, I'm sad to say. It's
1: beautiful. But it's very difficult to work. So I decided, like, you no, know, I had not that many contacts. I was, like, you no, know, was, well, let's see how it, it is to live abroad, how it's, like, you know, to be a foreigner. I had a BA in graphic design, but uh, the graphic design school that I went in Brazil, was very... Uh, Bauhaus was very like you know uh, the idea of modern so the designer would have voice it was mostly like you know that you have like only five or four typefaces for you to use it's ah, so a very
0: and, Vignelli. exactly yes
1: <laughs> so it was very boring so i decided like you know when instead of continuing to you know doing graphic design i decided like let's do a mastering painting and i got a scholarship to do this i came here i love new york and then i discovered graphic design that i love I love i discovered Luis Fili I discovered like you know so it's you'd start like you know, I'm salivating when you see the thing, so I want like me to do like that. So then I went back to graphic design.
0: What was the art and design scene in Brazil like in the early 1980s?
1: Was um, there a scene at all? Not that much, actually. From all the people that I graduated, I think there are very few people who are still into design business. Nowadays, you have design because economy. I mean, design needs an economy. So like you know, since there was no economy at that time, it was very difficult for you to survive as a designer. Uh, nowadays, there is. And actually, there's a very interesting typographer's des- you know, design type in Brazil as well. So there is some interesting things. On the other hand, Brazil is kind of uh, a young country, and a lot of the design sensibility of Brazil is very much the modern is like, you know, Niemeyer when he created Brasilia. So it was. I mean, when you go to Brazil, one of the funny things that I, I find is that they don't have serif typefaces. Everything is sans serif because there is this idea of the modern. You find serif on, like, you non-small know, type on, on the books but like, you no know, any display type. Is also sans serif. It's so bizarre. There was no idea of tradition of uh, lettering. I mean, the lettering that there is is like you not know, the raw uh, signs that is done for market. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting place to visit and see it.
0: So you ended up getting a master's in painting
1: because I love art. I love. I mean, the thing is, if you grew up in Brazil, there was no. I mean, in Rio, you have one museum of modern art. You have no Rembrandts. You have no El Grecos. You have no Rubens. So like you know, everything. All your art history is based on books. You just, like, you never see any paintings. So, like, and of course, it's like I wanted to see. I wanted. And then when I came here, I saw it and I appreciated. But the thing with art is that uh, I like design because design is, is you have a problem and you have a solution. And you have zillions of solutions. And you have a problem that existed outside yourself. Art is different. Art you have to pose the problem. If you find a solution or not, it depends on new, depends on like on uh, on. Um, you have to be cursed to be an artist, you know. <laughs> and I think design. You don't think you have to be cursed to be a designer? It, a little bit, but not so much. I mean, the gods are a little more, um, you know, relaxed and less vengeful than like you know, than with arts.
0: I'm not surprised that just moments into our interview we're already talking about your thoughts and philosophy on the role of art and the role of design. You've talked about it extensively. And it was hard to pick the bits that I wanted to quote back to you and then talk about, aside from the fact that on your website, you prominently state graphic design will save you. And I want to talk about how you believe that's possible. But I also wanted to talk to you about this sort of dichotomy between art and design. And so I'm going to read you this paragraph You say, design is not art, since art exists as an answer to a question posed by an individual artist, while design exists as an answer to a question posed by the marketplace. Design must have an audience to come into being, while art seeks an audience, sometimes luckily finding it, sometimes not. Art pushes the limit of experience and language for its own sake, while design might do this, but only to humanize and integrate people's lives in the context of an economy. Design needs an economic system, while art does not. Art may become a product, but it's not the reason why it was created, but how our society transforms it into a commodity.
1: Sounds so much better when you say...
0: (laughs) I'm just reading your words. It's really quite extraordinary to think about a product or art becoming a product. And then becoming a commodity, and I'm wondering if if you have an example. I was thinking maybe Warhol. I was thinking, who do you mean by that, or what do you mean by that? I
1: think the whole. I mean, I, our idea of art of the artist is like you know the French bohemian, like you know, living on on the little uh, attic in the you know, in Paris, and like you know, painting his you know his room. See, I think
0: of Damien Hirst. I don't yeah. really think about
1: <laughs> that parade artist anymore. Well,
0: but I think I think of a cash register.
1: It, well, I think, but this was like you know the ideal, the image that I have of. What an artist should be. I mean, you shouldn't like. You, know, you yes. shouldn't uh, compromise your art. And then, you know, when you go and try, like, you know to do this. I mean, you have, you have to have a, a nine to five job, and then, like, you know you go home at night, and like, you know you work from six to two o'clock in the morning, and then, and you have to have real not only a, a passion, but you have a, a need to do that. Like, there is, is something that is pressing on you because it is a very difficult life, of course. As a designer, we're doing exactly the same thing. We work nine to five, and then realize that, like, you no, know, we hate not every everyone, but sometimes you hate the things <laughs> that you do from nine to five. So you have to go home and, like, you know, do the things that you want to the do for yourself. Self-generated projects, yes, yeah. But it is something that, like, you, know, you see, as a, you're creating a project, that there is a, a marketplace, like, to absorb this project. What with our artist, it is, yeah. I mean, you know, you are making a product, but that product might. You know, you have, might a gallery like to show it? You don't know. I mean, like, you know, the genesis for an idea of art, it is something that is specifically in you. Like, you know, there's an uh, interest, is an obsession that you have. Of course, you know, designers are obsessed as well. I don't know. I mean, there are similarities, but there are, you know, a lot of things that are very different.
0: This reminds me of a passage in James Joyce's Ulysses where there's a big sort of existential debate that Joyce has, the character sort of thinking about this and that and this and that and sort of spinning around and around and around and big, big, big ideas. And then he starts a new paragraph. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, (laughs) how can graphic design save us?
1: Well, it saves me and it can save everyone, but it saves me, I love graphic design. I think that I'm very lucky. It probably feel the same way, you know that you find something that you like to do. And one of the things about like you know, work that is great is the idea of losing yourself into the work. So in a sense, it's like you know, something you have joy, like you know, to play with type, to play with images, like you know, to find similarities, to find patterns, to create, you know, ideas, to um, transform. So you lose yourself into, into the work. And that's what I, one of the things that I say to my daughter is trying to find something that you're so passionate that you lose yourself in it. And I think that's what graphic design does for me.
0: So there's a little bit of lost time that I've discovered in my research, from the time that you graduated with your master's till the time you became the senior art director and vice president at HarperCollins. So what did you do in between? Because I really couldn't find what it was you were doing. Well,
1: that's the thing, you know, when I graduated from fine arts, so I had, like when I came to New York, I had no portfolio. And then you are competing with people who come, like, with wonderful American universities with perfect portfolio. I hated those people. (laughs) I mean, also, I know, it was some time ago. So in a sense, like when I came, my portfolio was still in like letter set, with like rubbed down. Me I mean, too. it's like remember how oh, how it was? Fantastic. And, and then when you put the plastic sheet, like, and you peel, half of the things would come out. I mean, like it was a monotype. The, it was it was a disaster. It was, um, so I wanted to go in graphic design, and it was very difficult to try. So I did. Everything I did, like, you know, I work um, designing banks in the Bahamas, you know, those, like, you know, annual report for, like, you know, these strange banks in the Bahamas. <laughs> I was art director for a magazine called Your Prom. I mean, it was lovely. At one point, we were doing a photo shoot of all these girls in prom dresses, and, you know, the photographer told me, because I was putting one model near, like, on you know, the light, and says, don't close, not so close to the light, the dress is plastic, is going to (laughs) <laughs> going flames. So, I mean, I did everything that you could in order, like, to build a portfolio. So that was a kind of struggle. But it was a way of um, finding. Know, and the th- that's the thing with graphic design. I mean, you grow in terms of, you know, the quality of your work. But you also try, like, to find, you know, the enlightened client, the enlightened tyrant. So in a sense, that's the pursuit of graphic design is to find, like, you know, someone who believes in you, who believes in your sensibility, but also has the money to, you know, the back you up. And, and the, the courage, courage. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I still don't understand how you went from freelancing and working on prom <laughs> catalogs <laughs> magazines. And, and, and dubious bank annuals <laughs> to vice president at or, Harbor Collins, and Random House. I
1: did a lot of, um, you know, working in, you know, branding at that time it was not even branding, it was corporate identity. Uh, and then okay. suddenly I was doing a lot of freelance magazines and then I got hired by <laughs> Condé First, I was designer at Vogue when Anna Wintour was coming in. And then after Vogue, I went to Housing and Garden. And then from Housing Garden, I went to Condé Nast Traveler. And then I was a senior designer at Condé Nast, and I realized the only great position Condé Nast is if you, if you are the art director. Because a designer, you already have all the typeface chosen for you. You have all the images chosen for you. It was just layout in the pages. And it was kind of interesting, but like you know, at the end was not, you know, I mean, also the thing is that you know, magazines have such a short life that when you see it, it looks, it's already garbage before it's out. I mean, it's so sad. I mean, you're already, um, so I was by myself, you know, not very happy in New York. And I thought, like, you no, know, perhaps I should go to Europe. Like, should see what it is to go to live, you know, in France. So I was... Uh, Brushing up my French and uh at Alliance Française and there was this uh, woman who was heavily pregnant, was one of the, another student in the class, and we start talking and she was looking for dunno to have a designer to replace her as an art director for Pantheon it was Marjorie Anderson who came after Louise Philly. And then so I stayed at Pantheon for four months. And I discovered that I love books. I mean, like, the first book that they gave me to do was Il uh, Gatto Pardo, The Leopard, by Lampedusa. And I'm, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. I mean, I love books. And so it was wonderful, like, you know, to design books. And also, like, you know, books are little posters. And each one is different. And each one you have to market different. And each one is a, is a different voice. So it was, I really loved, you know, so... From Pantheon, then I I started freelancing mostly in book publishing and then like you now I started like you know, working first I was our director of basic books, then I was our director of Broadway books, and then from Broadway Books I went like into HarperCollins. And then I realized that it's great. I mean I love the corporate ladder, but at one point you become more manager, then you 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 are hired because of your design skills. And then like you know, the last thing that you do is design. You don't know, you manage people. So I decided that the, Better like not to do open my own stuff. And...
0: Now I read that while you were at HarperCollins, that you oversaw the design of over fifteen hundred book covers a year. Yeah, and also actually designed over two hundred. How is that possible? It's like uh, one a day, one, I, a, one a business day.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, there was a lot of staff there, but also. It is fast. It's not like you, you – there is the great books that like I did spend you know, a lot of time trying like not to come up. But there are other things that have to be out of the door and I think it's good. I mean time is also essential. You have to manage your time. Um, your ideas have to be when you are taking a shower, not when you're in front of the computer. I mean that's when you have your ideas. So it was. It's okay. I mean, I actually love, you know, the, the, the fast pace. I think, like, sometimes when you have too much time, it becomes like too. There's too much to consider. I mean, there's always again, design. You don't only have one solution. You have. You can have zillions of solutions. So in a sense, you know, time is one of the components that make it, you know the solution specific for at that point in time.
0: On your website, you have a lot of examples of books that went to market with a cover that you designed, but you also included many times variations That you created that you would have preferred go to market. And one of my favorite examples on your website was for the book, How to Cook Like a Man. And you said that the sort of brief in your own mind was, me want food, me cook. Seems like a natural corollary for the title. And How to Cook Like a Man went to market with kind of what you'd expect cover. And what you actually created that you would have preferred had a very strategically placed whisk and two eggs and I'll let our listeners decide in their own minds how they want to construct those elements. Why on earth wouldn't they go with something that interesting and witty and humorous and provocative all at the same time?
1: I think it depends again, depends on the client, depends of like the project. I think publishing even though it's not a high profit margin you know, business, it's becoming more and more conservative. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that I think Knopf did so well. I mean, when you have Sunny Mait, one of the, the is, again is the enlightened tyrant. He appreciates design. He appreciates yeah. No, and Chip
0: it. Chip says that very explicitly. Chip Kidd, of course, from uh, Random House, one of the great book cover designers of all time. Chip says very very it's, specifically yeah. that he couldn't do what he was doing if it weren't for Sunny Exactly,
1: and I think that not enough, you don't have that many in publishing anymore. It's, it's becoming, I think, more and more conservative.
0: You've branched out into both restaurant branding and packaging. And do you find that your approach differs in these disciplines or is it a very similar way in?
1: I think it's, a, it's very similar. It's, I think one of the things that I like about uh, working in branding or in like the restaurants is that uh, the thing with like when you do a book jacket, you, know, you read the book, you come up with a concept and you, know, you flash up the concept and you have the one off. I mean you have just you know, this poster. And then – Imagine if you could adapt this poster now for a menu, now for a postcard, now for, I mean, you adapt that idea for all these different other, you know, and you created, like, you know, this system. Um, So I think that, you know, they can correlate. Because in a sense, you're creating a narrative. So it's like, you know, it's a narrative for the book, it's a narrative for, you know, the restaurants, it's a narrative for the branding. It's like you're creating a story. If you have more pieces, that story can be better fleshed out, better displayed.
0: So, three different restaurants that you've worked on include Il Pitori in Philadelphia, Mai Tai in Rio, and Cafe Storico in New York City. And I just watched a video of you online talking with Matteo Bologna about the design of the Steven Starrs restaurant. Park, the French restaurant. And I was really fascinated by the notion of what makes something authentic. And you both questioned how something could be authentic if it wasn't created in its place of origin. So how do you create an authentic environment when in fact, by the sheer virtue of being a Thai restaurant in Brazil or an Italian restaurant in Philadelphia, you're already somewhat inauthentic by being being outside of the country that you are really coming from?
1: I think, for instance, with uh, Il Pitori. The 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 food that it was creating was art. It was, like, you know, it was lovely and they are delicious. I mean they're really dunno if you go to Philadelphia, if you go to Il Pittori, it's they have a, a bombolini that is to you know, to die for. So since you have the Disney, not you know the name Il Pitorio, so what about if the plates are the canvas, if the menus are the canvas? So in a sense like you know, it becomes all about the you know, how when you see in restaurant photographs they have like you know, those Brush strokes of like balsamic vinegar of mustard in a sense it's very much like them to be you know an artist with my thai was uh you know a friend of mine who they live in New York I mean they are Brazilians they have never been to Thailand, but they love Thai food you know all the time they were in in New York, and they want like them to do something that was healthy and yet was fast and uh, so they had not mu- that much money i mean i love i mean I actually love little projects like that when you have no much money but you can do whatever you want and so i came up with like you know with this um ambigram for a logo so it was the logo would have to be displayed in every the package so in a sense let's have a memorable image and so, whatever do you know, what anagram is, like, yes. and look, like when you have, you, you can read back and forth, wow. I mean, like in data. So, right, um, the word, or, wow. or you could read like, and sometimes you, um, you know, have two different uh, words, one back and one forth. It's very much. I, I think it became quite, quite famous because of the um, Dan Brown books, the, you know, the The Adventure Code yes. or you know, like you know, the Angels and Demons. So, but and again i again, the you know restaurants you have each different restaurant has a story, and you have like you know, to narrate the story and create the you know translate the you know their ideas graphically into the package the signage the you know, the in order to um convey the narrative that they want, and also, I think I love. You know, with restaurants it's almost like you know this disneyfication i mean it's like you know, is kind of a theme park so in a sense like you know yeah, let's restaurants go, is theme park absolutely yeah, let's go like you know to france the you know, turn the century or like an you know, or 1920 italy or like you know so it's, it's a little bit when you go to restaurant is you are paying to you know for the trip and i mean what is authentic i mean in a sense like you know that when you look, to you know, back, it's uh, you are we are in different time. We still love the same food. We still love like you not know, the frisée or lardon, like the or you, know, you you love the French food. So it's much nice if you, you know if you're surrounding by the place where that to you know that food was created for. So in a sense, you have the environment where the food was created for. It is authentic, It's not. But then in the a sense, like, aren't we always recreating? You know, I mean, nothing is authentic. Everything is like, you know, it's, it's a recreation. It's a yeah. yeah, a construct. Yeah. So,
0: well, you also, you and Mateo also talked about needing to create a level of authenticity. And this this really stopped me. I had to listen to this a couple of times. So you talked about needing to create a level of authenticity that was so modern that any graphic designer wouldn't know it's modern.
1: I think that's one of the, the, the problems if you only recreate something that already existed it looks dated and it looks and you and when you look back when you go like you know, there's always this haphazard quality that sometimes it's would be not Polished enough for a client today. Because a lot of you know, times, I mean, especially like French restaurants, they are family business. So, like, the grandfather like you know, bought the place, and then the, his son took the place over and decided to change some little things, and the grandkid came and changed a little bit. So, <laughs> in a sense, it's like you know, this melange of the history. So, you are faking not only a specific time in place, but you also recreating all this history. So in a sense, it's difficult because you do want to do something that belongs to a period, but also you don't want to become so part of that period that it becomes old immediately. So in a sense, it has to have some... is how I see that specific point in time. Otherwise, it uh, just can xerox something that existed and printed. So in a sense, you have what is... No, I mean, I love the swell rules. So let's put swell rules like no, all over. I mean, those kind of little things that, uh, I mean, I love that uh, in every Victorian advertisement, you have to have at least 20 different typefaces in <laughs> one p- page. I love that. I love that. I mean, the thing goes, it goes against the idea of modernity. So let's use 20 wonderful typefaces. Somewhere Massimo Vignelli is crying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So in in the same conversation that yeah. you had with Matteo you also talked about believing that one of the roles of graphic design is to make an audience feel intelligent.
1: I think it's very important.
0: So how do you go about doing that?
1: I think one of the main things is humor. I think if you have something that has humor, the audience it laughs with you. And then so they feel intelligent. They feel, you know, smart. Um, like they get smart. It somehow? Yeah, really smart. And then, like, you know, they appreciate it. I think that's one of the important, how humor is so important to work. Because also, life is hard. Like, let's give a break to you the know, general public. Like, you know, make life a little easier, a little, you know, gentler and happier. By just this little witty thing that you can't create. Yeah, so,
0: I think it's about the wit. Yeah. As much as it is I mean, about the humor. It,
1: on the park, we did. I mean, is this beautiful French restaurant right in front of House Square in, in Philadelphia. I don't know, I think it was a laundry, and then they you know, discarded everything, and they make this French bistro from 1890. <laughs> and so, we decided, like, you know, with the name Park, um, we decided, like, you know, let's do a little silhouette of animals that would be in the park, you know, working in the kitchen. So you have, like, you know, a little pigeon as the waiter. You had, like, you know, the, bus, the, 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 the Maître D was a dog. We had a bunch of animals and all, each animal has a different function in the restaurant. And we have one of them that was this little squirrel that was the bartender was a And then so we like you know, we created like you know, a little uh, so it was just little things that you know it was fun to do and like you know, and people relate to it and they are fun.
0: This talk about animals reminds me of one of the anecdotes that you have written about, wherein you describe the parts of an elephant to branding and how you see them in a very similar fashion. And I want to share that with you and our listeners. You said, you know, the story of the blind man and the elephant, the first held the tail, the second, the feet, the third, the torso, the fourth, the trunk. Each saw something different. It's the same with your business. You know all the parts and you want to emphasize your best features. We can see the parts, the whole, and the spirit behind it. Great design and great typography can unify all of your best assets into its proper shape to create your brand. And my question to you, Roberto, is how? How does great design and typography unify all of your best assets into its proper shape
1: to create your brand? I think one of the things first is again the idea of being a foreigner. I mean, you are in a different environment, and you know you have this client who are really in the thick of trying, like, you not know, to sell things. But, I mean, the, the function of designer is to you know, work with the client to understand what the job is and help. Place that into the context of the market and also to try like to know, learn with your client the process of like you know, what's out there that is exactly like you? how do you differentiate yourself from these people? What is your story that is different from everyone else? So you help to collect all these different informations and create like you know, something you know, a narrative that is so that's good. how
0: you interpret it. Yes. that's really really interesting. I'm very curious about your books. You have three books. In 2000, you created an alphabet book for your daughter titled Bembo's Zoo, your daughter Genevieve's First Christmas, I believe. And you called it Bembo's Zoo because you used the font Bembo to create 26 different animals, one for each letter of the alphabet. So for the letter A, for example, the letters that make up the word antelope are manipulated to form the creature's outline. And you did the same thing for bison and for crab, all the way through to unicorn, yak, and zebra. So what is it about the letter forms of the alphabet that intrigue you so much that you want to actually create characters out of characters?
1: I think the whole story started the... Um, my wife is a wasp and, like <laughs> and, uh, um, I love her and I love, you know, her family. And every Christmas we had not that much food, a lot of drink. Um, Very waspy. yeah. And, you know, we were supposed to give gifts to the kids. But between the adults, we have to make things. We have, like, you know, to do everything has to be handmade.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. The and pro- very old-fashioned.
1: Uh, exactly. The <laughs> problem is I'm the only, me and my wife are the only ones who had exacto knives, glue guns, and everything, you know, and crafty things or a computer— most of the things that you know, I would get, I mean, I, for our, we had at our home, we had this birdhouse that we called the birdhouse of Doctor Caligari because not <laughs> one wall met. It was like a exp- German expressionist birdhouse. So <laughs> it, it was things that like you know, that would live in our house for a month and then it would. Bit trashed out so I decided to you know let's do if I have to do a present let's try like to do this analphabet book because my my do- I was you know uh she was two and she uh, I was trying like to teach her Portuguese as well besides English. So I was trying like to find an alphabet book that I could use both for Portuguese and English. So for instance normally when you have an alphabet book in English A is always for alligator. But in Portuguese the the word alligator is jacaré starts with J. So in a sense like you know, I couldn't use the same. So I decided, well, let's make I would make my own book for her. And since I'm not an illustrator, I decided, well, and I'm a craft designer, I said, like, let's use you know, the letter forms because she would recognize the letter forms and then she would see how combining those letter forms you can create the word. And so I did like know that and uh, I showed to a friend of mine who had a, was an editor-in-chief for a Publishing House and then he liked the idea and so uh, the book got published. What made you decide to Be- use Bembo? Because uh, the typeface, it looks really beautiful in large size and small sizes. So in a sense, it's, you need a typeface that was, you know, classic letter form, but yet, like you know, that even though uh, in terms of, of size, would, uh, they, they would look beautifully displayed. So you followed
0: this up with your most recent book, a remarkable effort titled Men of Letters and People of Substance, which is a gallery of famous portraits entirely created by letters and objects. And in the introduction, Francine Prose described this book as a book that makes the alphabet sing and proof of how much can be accomplished with language. And it's true, Roberto, it's, it's so true. You have the ability to express emotion in a cue, or as you put it, the mane of Oscar Wilde or Mark Twain's mustache have their equivalent shapes respectively in the characters D of Avalon and W in Koshin. How did you discover that? <laughs> I mean, how did you find out that Mark Twain's mustache has an equivalent shape in the character of D in the typeface Avalon?
1: I, I think that you know when when Bimbozo was going to press, they asked me like for a photo to put on the flap of the book, and I decided that like no, I, I mean, I hate. Any photo of me because I'm always fatter and bolder than I thought. I don't know. That I, 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 I hear I think you. I, am. I hear you. So, um, so I decided, well, let's do instead of like no a photo. I mean, the only photo that I had that I was thinking to send to the publisher was a six month a picture of a baby since it was a children's book. Oh, I get it. But they decided, well, if I can do this with the animals, let's see if I can do a portrait of myself only using the letters of my name. So it started, like, not playing with the the letters. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Let's see if we can do that. I mean, you can start pushing, like, to see how it works. And I think one of the things that I liked about that was also because I was trying, like, to combine the idea. I mean, you have, you amass this great uh, library of fonts when you work, and you, you know you love these fonts and you have you don 't have a project like to work with all these fonts so I decided like no well let 's see if I can like, you know, do something with that. So it was a way of, like, you know, searching a little bit the time period of the specific author and then, you know, trying to find the font that, like, that matches, you know, that, for instance, you know, Marcel Proust, I mean, you use, like, I use Oriel, that's like this typeface from from the turn of the century. So it was beautiful. And it matches, like, somehow you could match the figure with the typeface. And sometimes with portrait Sometimes also you find something that defines the, the idea of a caricature. You find like you no know, one specific strong gesture. element that like and um, that gives the character the, the portrait like you no know, its personality, and then sometimes you find a typeface that has that little element that fits perfectly as into a nose or into a mane or into a moustache. Or a woman's legs. (laughs) There's a
0: a marvelous exercise that you have on the Type Directors Club website about how to make love to your type, I believe is the title. Yes. And you see all sorts of very risque examples of how type follows the shape of the human anatomy.
1: Well, the thing is also I I always forget uh, about the specific elements of the typeface, I mean how I mean, what is this thing that sticks up? is it a sender oh the, the thing that sticks down a sender what is the the bow or the little <laughs> the tail. exact so in a <laughs> sense, they are all names that relate to human bodies, so that we we were doing something like we wanted to do a little uh, printed object that would serve as something you know for the members like them to have as an inspiration piece but also like them to promote the type Directors club so. They offered me if I wanted to do something. And I said, oh, yes, you know, I always had this idea, so let's you know, try that. And after that, we had like so many other you – know, Gail Anderson uh, did a, a wonderful piece on the Santerias. And Jessica Hish did a little poster. And uh, we still did a little series of postcards. We always try at TDC to do some little printed object that like, serves as inspiration, serves as an uh, interesting piece for our members.
0: I read an interview with you wherein you stated a letter is much more than a representation of a symbol. A letter depicts a time period, a certain mood, and perhaps the soul of the artist. And I'm wondering how you go about constructing that soul.
1: I think is the idea of sen- your sensibility, your personality. So in a sense, it's, it's a, a collection of all these moments in time where you find things that you like, or that reflect your sensibility, or that you act upon, and you create pieces of design. I think your artwork, in the end, you know, your portfolio becomes like you know your uh, your face, your soul, your you know your spirit. Um, I think it's one of the strangest things that I've ever seen. Was some time ago, a friend of mine had a friend who died, and he was not a religious person. His family was in the Midwest, and the, the guy was interior designer. And so they had a little get-together of all his clients and his families in the house that he, that he uh, designed. And there was champagne and people talking about him. And in, in the coffee table, there was his portfolio. For me, it was the strangest thing to you know, to see... You know, I mean, this is a little bit life in New York City. You are so much the work that you do, that the portfolio was his presence, was his, you know, lifetime achievement. So it was like, you no, know, quite beautiful, like in the uh, strange. You know, I mean, normally you are accustomed, like, you know, to see, you know, in Catholic churches or like. You know, but <laughs> right. now he's in New York. I mean, he's like you know, in the time that you were secular. So there was like you no know, that portfolio that represented him, and it was his soul. Um, but i think also the most imp- one of the most important things in terms of graphic design i think that's the only thing that is specific to graphic design is typography everything else you borrow from the other arts you borrow like you know the images from the photography from painting from but the only thing that is specific Material for uh, graphic design is typography. So you have to know type and you have to, to know to learn the history of type and you have like to be willing to play with type because I think that the, the more that you can, the more expressive you become and the more you know, the better designer you become.
0: Thank you, Roberto. Thank you, Debbie. To learn more about Roberto Divic Vic di Comptis, visit divic.com That's vic.com spelled V-I-C-U. I'd like to thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.